The guy who was in that mask apparently did all of it. He was completely naked. Ah! And also, we have something, maybe a big announcement coming soon, something we've been working on for a while. We can't say it right now because, you know, lawyers. Perfect! It is perfect! It's perfect! It's perfect for this movie. Yeah. So here I am In this Hollywood city The city of the stars, movies, women, and cars Well, I guess I, I guess I'll Yeah, how about that for a funky little rope-a-dope for the song? Because I uh, gave you a little fake-out earlier today. You did. I you... thought you were going to play Bob Seeker. But no, there's a reminder. That song is a reminder that if you just remember Cool and the Gang from all their big 80s hits like Joanna and things like that, very middle of the road, they started out funky. Nice. Well, Hollywood swang it from Cool and the Gang to get us into the Fright Club podcast. And welcome to it. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we're from MadWolf.com. Talking about Hollywood this week, the best of Frightful Hollywood, because we just got back from there. We did. We went out to visit our son, who is an aspiring musician slash actor. And so naturally, immediately, I just went to every horror film where Hollywood just chews you up and spits you out. <laughs> That's right. Except for actually there's one on the list that doesn't even spit you out, it just swallows. And one of the things we did was uh, hike to the Hollywood sign. We did, which is a lot harder than we thought than we it was going to be. we were to believe. We, we <laughs> took one uh, bottle of water apiece, and that was not enough. Not enough. But we did make it. And some of the people that we started out definitely did not. Did not. So uh, take a lot of water if you go. About a five mile hike. It took us a good couple hours, didn't it? Oh, it did. Yeah, but uh, we got sweaty. Get, we got at least one cool picture. And check it out if you haven't seen it already on our Facebook page, which is uh, Mad Wolf Columbus. So um, also we want to say thank you so much. Well, we got a bunch of thank yous to hand out. We want to thank do. everyone who came out for the la- the uh, most recent edition of Fright Club Live. So it was at the Gateway Film Center as always. And we showed, which I think everybody loved, we showed Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. Everybody did. I really think they did. It's, it, and a lot of people weren't aware of it, hadn't seen it. And uh, it's just one, it's, it's hard not to like. It, it really is. It's very clever. It's fun. It's really, really enjoyable. And Nathan Basil, who plays Leslie, tweeted at us. Nice. And I had a stroke. <laughs> yeah, you caught that while we were on vacation. I know. So we almost had to seek medical help. So... Uh, <laughs> Thanks to everybody who came out for that, and thanks to Nathan, and uh, we look forward to the next edition of Fright Club Live, which is coming up, as it always is, the second Wednesday of every month. So, the September edition. It's going to be September 12th, and we are going to show the 2014 German mindbender Der Samurai, which I'm super excited to see. And I'm also excited for the the podcast, because it's going to be about fractured fairy tales. Yeah. Yeah, that'll be it's a, a lot. fun basis for horror that movies. That is. That'll be a lot of fun. We also want to say thank you to our buddy Lisa G, a.k.a. Pink Paradox, because on her very cool blog, uh, check it out if you haven't, um, she... Yeah, pinkparadox.net. Yeah, she uh, wrote up a list of her favorite horror movie podcasts, and who made the cut? We did! Yeah, that is awesome. So thank you so much. Uh, really appreciate that. And also we want to thank the folks at Voucher. They just put out their list of the top 20 movie blogs, and we made the list on that as well. We surely did. That's that's super cool. Thank you so much to the folks at Voucher. And also, we have something, maybe a big announcement coming soon, something we've been working on for a while. We can't say it right now because, you know, lawyers <laughs> and all we that stuff. We don't know lawyers. <laughs> Do you know lawyers? Give us a call. <laughs> 
But hopefully we'll have a very big, very cool announcement coming soon. We're keeping our fingers crossed, but we don't want to jinx it. Uh, jinx it quite yet. So a lot going on. Thank you, as always, for being a part of it. We love that as we uh, want to get into frightful Hollywood horror. Any rules, any things to, to talk about before we uh, get into it? Well, I just wanted to narrow it down to that sort of idea of, you know, trying to be a star. Right. So, I mean, there are a lot of horror movies about horror movies. There's a lot, you know, about the movie making process. But I really wanted to narrow it down to that idea of like wanting to be a star mm-hmm. and the just god awful things that could happen. Right. Uh, okay. That's good enough as we start off with number five in the Hollywood horror list. It's an aspiring model, Jesse, new to LA, and her beauty and youth generates intense fascination and jealousy within the fashion industry. And something truly sinister could be afoot from 2016 The Neon Demon. What's it feel like to walk into a room? It's like in the middle of winter. You're the sun. It's everything. You know what my mother used to call me? Dangerous. This is one that actually got us, well, it's, it's, it's a polarizing movie anyway. It is. And we didn't end up liking it as much as some people did. You can really swing uh, on both ends of the spectrum, as, as a lot of uh, Nicholas Winding Refn's movies are. Yes. They're very polarizing. They can be. We did like it, but on, obviously, because it's number five here, but on his, in his scale, his, his resume, not one of our favorites from him. No, and and it, for that reason I think we were we were pretty disappointed. It's a glorious to look at oh. as all of his films are. Oh, it really it is. has such a spectacular and very singular aesthetic and we loved that but expected it, you know, and uh, uh because you know his his filmography from Bronson to the masterpiece Drive and even as far as we're concerned the fairly underrated only God forgives. Right, which is maybe his most polarizing. Yes, and because, it's borderline horror. Yeah, and we like that one a lot, and, yeah. lot, and some people just out and out hate it. But right. you're right. They always look fantastic. This one looks fantastic. It and it's, does. And it's got, you know, it's definitely some things to like about it, including, yes. including we don't say this very often, Keanu Reeves. He's great! He, really he plays Hank. He plays this uh, big, evil, oafish motel manager. And uh, in... in what may be the most disturbing scene in the film, he makes his sinister presence really known. I mean, he, he yeah. hovers around. You're like, this guy is not a good dude. And then just out of nowhere, bam, he's he's super not a good dude. And it is a really disturbing scene. You know, you mentioned the color, and that's a calling card for all of his films. But he has said in more than one interview that he is, in fact, color colorblind. Wow. And, and can only perceive contrast and primary colors, which is amazing. That's insane. Because of the all, all the things going on in his movies. A lot of this film was improvised, uh, including uh, the really, I'm not going to give away too much, but the very interesting scene with Jenna Malone and a corpse. Really? A lot of that. Well, now, that did make one of our other countdowns. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot of that, it was not, let's say, let's just say it was not expected or not written to go as far as it went. Wow. And so Jenna took it uh, took it in some new and exciting directions. <laughs> <laughs> and also, uh, this film, it started out with the working title, I Walk with the Dead. 
which is much more of a straight up horror movie type type of uh, yeah. uh, title. And Carrie Mulligan was the first uh, lead attached to this project. Wow, yeah, a, a favorite of his, obviously, because they worked. Uh, through, drive, yeah, 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 drive, yeah, she's amazing in Drive. And through I don't know, as the usual scheduling or whatever, uh, it went to Elle Fanning, who we're big fans of. You know, and Elle she's Fanning great in this movie. Incredibly talented, yeah. and she is great in this movie because, you know, she really embodies. I think when they started filming this, she was what sixteen or seventeen. Yeah. Young. Yeah. And she looks it, and that is perfect for this type of, you know, young, naive, but being she's, chewed but she's up. very, very talented. So she was able to capture that that naivety that isn't the same as innocence. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's, yeah, she's spectacular in this movie. Jenna Malone is great in this movie. She is. Um, actually, I mean, I love the whole cast. And it's it's funny because, uh, so Bella Heathcote, Jenna Malone, and Abby Lee mm-hmm. play what in, in a different movie would be sort of a trio of witches. That's yeah. really in a, in a, a straight-up genre film that... That's kind of who they portray, and they are really, really good together in this movie. I love all three of them. And you might, it took me a minute to figure it out, but Abby Lee, she was the very, very, very pale wife, quote wife, yeah. in Fury Road. Yeah. It took me forever. I just am <laughs> staring at this face going, I know who that is. Who is that? And also, she had done a lot of modeling before getting sure. into movies. And she actually ended up being a, a really good source of info for uh, Nicholas Winding Refn because of little you know, backstage things about yeah. how auditions would work, you know, what would be set up for them, what what the what the order of, of business is in an audition, so that she ended up being really important to those types of uh, those types of little nuances to the movie, which was, interestingly enough, shot in chronological order. That is actually that yeah. is interesting. Yeah. You know, and uh, it's one of those films where the way it progresses, right? So you know, you've got this much too young, helpless basically headstrong, beautiful, talented, whatever, and you realize things are going to go badly for her because of the situations that she's in, but that's really sleight of hand because, uh, and so the whole thing, of course, as, as basically all of the films on this list, is metaphorical for how difficult and soul-crushing the quest for stardom is and, mm-hmm. and the, the incredibly helpless position that you put yourself into, it, you know, when you are dealing, you know, you're Harvey Weinstein's of the world, right? right? When you put yourself in that position. But in this one, um, the metaphor becomes more literal the farther it gets along, which, which I really enjoyed. I liked when it took a turn from being horror-esque to being outright genre. Exactly. And that's where... It might lose some people mm-hmm. uh, because it does. It goes there. Yeah. Uh, and also, in, in addition to everything that, that you rightly say about the uh, the metaphors, it's also, I think, takes on added weight because of today's insane celebrity culture. Sure. Which is, I mean, people have been coming to Hollywood for stardom for forever. Yeah. But, I mean, now and in today's, you know... Every moment has to be broadcast online, which right. actually has only gotten worse in the two years yeah. since this movie has come on. Yeah. So uh, it might even gain even more more weight uh, as the years go on. But you're right. When it takes that turn, when you realize, oh, no, this is this is really making it, you know, crossing the, the line of metaphor and just going for it. Yeah. Uh, in, in terms of just devouring uh your soul, I guess, <laughs> in your quest for fame. But uh, there's a lot to like about it. Again, we have kind of gone back and forth with a few real fans of the movie uh, since it's come out. Because you know, to be honest, we were, we were both a little bit disappointed. We were. We were. Not because it's not. I mean, it's well put together. It has some surprises. It looks glorious. The performances are great. It was just high expectations mm-hmm. because um, everything else he's done has been so unique above all things. 
And this really wasn't. It was a lot of it was homage. It's got a lot of Dario Argenta vibe about it. Um, it doesn't feel that fresh to me in yeah. the way that everything else yeah. he's ever watched. I, I, at no time did I have a guess as to what was going to come next. Yes, and and so that was a disappointment to me. But that you know that, that's a pretty high watermark, really, if you're comparing it to something like Drive or Bronson. That's right. That's right. And it's definitely not to say that we we didn't like it. Just maybe not. We just didn't feel it. It carried a punch. Uh, as some of his other films, that's all. But, but coming in at number five on our Hollywood horror list from 2016, The Neon Demon. Moving up to number four, I think a movie that, boy, maybe we've only talked about once, if that, on the on the countdown. But it's a favorite of people who have seen it, and it's a hopeful young starlet uncovering the ominous origins of the Hollywood elite entering into a deadly agreement in exchange for fame and fortune from 2014, Starry Eyes. <laughs> being reborn. Kill your old life, Sarah. Bury it in the earth. And join us in the skies. That's me. I'm your girl. I will do whatever it takes for this role. This is another one that takes that you know, that traditional, you know, lose your soul sort of, you know, uh, in your quest for fame and takes it in a weird, unexpected direction, Mm -hmm. which I appreciated. And you know what I think is interesting? One of the things that I, 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 because I don't think this got as much, I don't think as many people saw this as maybe could have or should have. Right, I don't think so either. But uh, Dennis Widmer and Kevin Coles, the directors, they got, they got nabbed to do the new Pet Cemetery. So I thought that was interesting because you would have expected, I mean, you expect uh, after the just astronomical success of it that Mm -hmm. that they're just going to do this. They're just going to remake all of the old Stephen King movies and good Mm -hmm. for them for doing that. But I guess I would have expected. Especially Pet Cemetery because it's awful. (laughs) That movie? It's it's, It's it's terrible. It's It's really terrible. So hopefully it can be. But but, but I digress. Yes. (laughs) But no, I'm excited for that. And, And anyway, and I think they did a nice job with this movie because it has a real... For the first couple of acts, anyway, a very naturalistic feel about it, right? And you just feel like you're hanging out with these, you know, kids who are making shorts together and want to be directors and want to be stars and don't have any money. So they're doing it together. It's a little community thing. You know, it just feels very, very naturalistic, which I appreciated. And then the lead, Sarah, uh, played by Alexandra Esso, she maybe thinks she's too good for them. Like, she maybe thinks she's going to go the real starlet route. She's not going to kind of struggle in these crappy indie films first. Right. And so, you know, we follow her, but you, what I, and I always love this in a movie. You don't like her. I always love that in a movie when your lead, particularly, because I think it's particularly courageous if your lead is female, yeah. to make it a character that you that the audience is right. not meant to like. Right. I, Pe- I, people are not used to that. No. It throws them. Yeah, but it does. It's ambitious. Especially yeah. if it's it, it not, especially in a horror film, if you're not then watching her get picked off, right? They're not like, they're not like relying on your nihilism to go, I can't wait till she gets killed. Yeah. You're just like, wait, this is the lead? I don't even like this person. <laughs> I love that in a movie, and I think that um, Esso does a great job with it here uh and it's not that you hate her she's just difficult to like you like all of the people at the apartment complex that she's not hanging out with all of those guys they're like people you know and you root for um and a lot of of great actual you know the the people who 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 are that group of people 
they do, in fact, come from very low-budget independent horror, which I appreciate as well. And here's the thing about that, because when you say you have a lead that's unlikable, well, then right away, someone's first impulse would be, well, well then who, who am I going to root for? Right. Well, but then you have to step back and think, yes, this is obviously a very conscious decision sure. on the part of the filmmakers. So why would they be doing that? Right. It's not that they're going to say, oh, we don't have anybody to root for. No, they're doing that on purpose. Yeah, it's a challenge. They're yeah. challenging you. And I love that. I do too. Um, and a little bit like Neon Demon, then there's just a scene in this movie where the whole thing kind of turns on ear. Mm-hmm. And it's also, I think, very alarming because it's probably more realistic than I want it to be. Yeah. What happens to you in that audition room when you're just sitting, standing, bearing your soul with this just panel of judges? Yeah. There's three or four people who are just telling you, do this, do that, do this, do that. And do you trust them? Should you trust them? Probably not. Well, incidentally, uh, Sarah's, in, in the movie, Sarah's second audition in which she has to strip naked in front of you know that panel... That was apparently inspired by a story that was told to the directors about having to do an audition for David Lynch. Ooh. Which would be weird anyway. It would be weird anyway. And very intimidating. So, I mean, could is, is that true? We don't know. No, we but, don't I mean, know. It's, it's not, I don't think it's a big leap of faith to think it could be true. Well, not only that, especially if you think about the performances of the actors who are in the role of being the judges, right? Mm-hmm. The, uh, the assistant, oh my God, the casting director. Oh, my God. So glorious. <laughs> Such a great performance. Yeah. And it's uh, the casting director is Maria Olsen. You probably don't know the name. She has like 188 film credits. She's got like 31 movies currently in production. She, You'll know her face. Yeah, she's yeah. in everything. And she's such a perfect choice. She's got kind of a martyr's mademoiselle kind uh-huh. of air yeah. about her in this one, which I just love. Um, and then it gets you to the producer. And, of course, the producer sort of is you know equal to your Mephistopheles in this particular metaphor and is also absolutely perfect. But, again... Then, you know, the, the last act is a surprise. It really does um, circle back in a way that makes perfect sense, and yet you didn't predict, which is another reason that I just really enjoyed this film. Yeah, and it's interesting that it got, it started off uh, as a Kickstarter project and actually got a big boost from the author of Fright Club, Chuck Palahniuk. Yeah. Is that he pronounced that? Because he, he actually uh, put a thank you to 100 of the first donors to the project thanked them in his uh, 2014 novel, Beautiful You. And the connection is because Dennis Widmer uh, used to manage all of um, Palinuik's social media huh. and his website and everything. Nice. So they got a boost there and it got the, it got the ball rolling. But um, I think you're right. This was one that slipped through a lot of cracks. And, and even, even today, I don't think people maybe know it's out there. Right. Um, but it's definitely worth checking out. And maybe since you brought up about the pet cemetery, if that does, you know, come, people will come, go come back to play, and, people yeah. will go back and check it out. I hope they do. I hope they do. I do think, you know, in, 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 a, in certain respects, having a lead that the audience doesn't particularly care for it can, can hinder a, a film's success because mm-hmm. there are a lot of people who, just don't want to stick that out. Mm-hmm. I find that unfortunate because, because as I said earlier, that is one of my favorite risks a yeah. filmmaker can take, and especially uh, with, as you say, a female. Oh yeah, especially a with female a female lead because yeah. that's 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 even riskier. But uh, definitely worth checking out, and one that I think I always have to remind myself. I had to remind myself in in this one that it's only you know four years old now. I, I had a feeling it just seemed to me like it was older. 
uh, like early 2000s. Starry eyes. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Than just than just a few years ago. Huh. But it's so you could, should be. I hope it's easy to find. I, I don't would know. think so. Hope you can uh, check it out. If you haven't, uh, definitely do so. That's number four on our Hollywood horror list. Starry eyes from 2014, moving us up to a number three, and this is a classic for many many reasons. A former child star tormenting her paraplegic sister. In their decaying Hollywood mansion from 1962, whatever happened to Baby Jane? I wonder if you can guess who I am. I'm Baby Jane Hudson. Who the hell was Baby Jane Hudson? She's sick and she's not getting any better. You mean Jane? I think she seems much better lately. You wouldn't be able to do these awful things to me if I weren't still in this chair. But you are, Blanche. You are in that chair. <laughs> Jane, please. Don't do this to me. Jane. Jane, please. So much batshit craziness. Oh, my God. By, the, by these two legends. Of course, it's Betty Davis. It's Joan Crawford. Since we've talked about this, they've made that, uh, that feud. feud movie. Uh, if anybody didn't realize that these two really didn't care for each other. Oh, yeah, they hated each other. Which is... I perfect. Suppose, it is perfect. It's perfect. It's perfect for this movie. Yeah. Okay, I'm sorry they hated each other, but man, it adds just another layer to this. Yeah, it does. And just the craziness and the... I guess a lot of people point to as the uh, ground zero for what do they call hag horror? Yeah, it's a, yeah. an interesting well, subgenre, right? And, it, and 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 I think part of the reason that this is yeah this is ground zero is that both then of these stars who were actually quite young they were in their early forties but they're treated like they're ninety and and then both of them went on from here this springboarded a horror career for each of them so right. regardless of the fact that neither one of them was old they played crazy old spinsters, really, for the rest of their careers. Yeah, and Betty Davis got the um, Academy Award nomination here, which Joan Crawford was not happy about. No. Another, Victor Bono was also nominated. He did, which is amazing. Nobody ever remembers that. No, they don't. No. Because you bring him up, and they remember King Tut from the old Batman series. <laughs> but no, he, he got his Academy Award. He got his Academy Award uh, nomination for this movie, which, incidentally, that role mm -hmm. was supposed to be played by Peter Lawford. Really? From the Rat Pack, yeah. Uh, but apparently he dropped out because of his connection with JFK at the time. He thought it was, you know, might look bad and everything. He, yeah, just reflect bad on his on the president just being connected to to this movie that had. Wow. Yeah, apparently that's apparently that's why he dropped out. Crazy. Uh, and but so Victor stepped in and yeah, got himself an Academy Award nomination. So Joan Crawford, they were both aging. Um, of course, Betty Davis legendarily insisted on doing her own makeup mm. and. Woo. Yeah. <laughs> and Joan Crawford was still, even though she wasn't that old, she was obviously aging, but still very cognizant of how she looked. And I think they had more trouble trying to get her to, you know, frump down. Sure. She still wanted to put in all the, mm -hmm. you know, all the fake this and that. But the, it was so important because you had you had to believe that she was being starved to death. She was being starved to death. Well, yeah, as it went on, she had to look, you know, near death. Uh, when she was such captive by the crazy uh, baby Jane. But she, her character Blanche, is uh, paralyzed because of a very mysterious, mm -hmm. you know, uh, this car accident. Who was at fault? Uh, and baby Jane was the former child star singing these crazy songs about daddy. Oh, my God. Which is... <laughs> so creepy. So creepy. super duper creepy. Yeah. So creepy. But, I mean, and the, I mean, the, the heart of the story is 
uh, these two sisters who back in the vaudeville days, right, Jane was the big giant star, mm-hmm. but she couldn't make the leap to right. movies. Right. And so her quieter, more elegant and reserved sister, Blanche, did mm-hmm. make the leap to the big screen. So really, the entire deterioration of their sisterhood, of their familial bonds, right, which causes the the physical deterioration, the insanity, the murder, the mayhem, it's all brought on by celebrity and, and you know, and uh, the desire for celebrity and what you would do to get celebrity and what it can do to you, which is why it made this list. Also, it made this list because it's just so much fun to talk about. Yeah, and one thing that's funny, especially considering their personal relationship, you know, the scenes where Jane is trying to imitate Blanche's voice. Yeah. That voice, that's actually Joan Crawford. Oh. Because I guess Betty Davis couldn't imitate her voice, so it's Joan Crawford changing her voice just a little bit to sound like an imitation. Uh, just one of the weird things going on in the background of this uh, of this movie, because apparently, depending on you know the memoirs and the stories that you read, they were always doing just little things to poke at each other, right? And, like Betty Davis making sure that Coca Cola machine was installed on the set, because at the time uh, Joan Crawford was married to the chairman of the board of Pepsi. So just <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just little things like that, and just an old Hollywood. But you can't deny that it ended up, you know, really coming out. In the film, um, and and that relationship just feels so real, even there, even while it's just so unbelievably crazy. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, in retrospect, you know, when you consider how hard it was for the two of them to get along, that that line at the end when when Betty Davis says. Do you mean all this time we could have been friends? Right. It just really smacks you now. Like that's ironic and creepy. And then, then in that court, that's the breaking point. And then she just goes off and yeah. sings about daddy exactly. and lets Joan Crawford maybe die on the beach. They're not entirely cl- that's right. clear. That's right. It's on a little that, uh, ambiguous there yeah. at the end. But you know, this is a good one to put on the list because we're talking about so many of these movies about people coming out to Hollywood and what they'll trade mm-hmm. for stardom. Mm-hmm. And here is on the other end, you know, a couple that have had that stardom, got the success that maybe a yeah. lot of these characters mm-hmm. in these other movies were looking to get. Right. And here's on the other side, exactly. what happens when it goes right. away? Yeah. So that's, that's can be even more interesting and right. definitely one that's, that's worth a, uh, that's worth a look on this, especially if you haven't seen it, cause it's a classic, you know, from today's standards, it might not, be considered the most horrific horror in the but there's as you say she's oh, yeah. trying to kill her she's yeah. you know keep, there are a couple food related scenes that are yeah that'll and give then you of a course, start and then of course the uh, the housekeeper yeah who uh when maybe comes is trying to come to the rescue maybe yeah. a little bit yeah but it's so interesting if if nothing else for these two legends uh, of hollywood going going back to back and it's one that's uh it's definitely worth mentioning in horrific hollywood whatever happened to baby jane from 1962 uh, moving up to number two, and this is one that also carries a lot of real-life legend to it. It's uh, the story of the filming of Nosferatu being hampered by the fact that its star, Max Schreck, is taking the role of vampire far more seriously than seems humanly possible. Willem Dafoe just killing it in Shadow of the Vampire. Meet Count Orlok. I'd like some makeup. Well, you don't get him. What is the matter with you? Where did you find him, really? Sklar! Academy Award nominees John Malkovich. I will finish my picture! And Willem Dafoe. This is hardly your picture any longer. Shadow of the Vampire. How dare you destroy!
destroy my photographer! Why not the script girl? I'll eat her later. Right, so technically, not Hollywood, it's Germany. But it's all the same idea. Yeah. It's really actors coming together and putting their faith and their very health and well-being in the hands of their director. And it's not a good idea. I, I don't see how you couldn't include this one. No, Because you you're right, to. it's not Hollywood, but it's meta about the, the making of movies and a incredible urban legend. <laughs> you know, that I completely buy. There is no question in my mind that Max Shrek was, in fact, a vampire. And a, a just simply show-stopping performance from Willem Dafoe. I mean, yeah, he is so, nominated. so good as Max Shrek. And that's not to belittle John Malkovich as no. Murnau. Yeah, he's great as, as Murnau and, and Eddie Izzard. Is, I mean, everybody yes. in the movie is great. Because if you've seen the, the original Nosferatu, Gustav... That's who Eddie Izzard plays. He is just that, full of energy yeah. for no good reason. And the way that Eddie Izzard just brings that about is great. You know, and then, uh, and Catherine McCormick is great as well, right, as Greta, as the actress that, that Max Shrek's Count Orlock yes, falls in love with. Yes, yeah, with, So yes. it's, I mean, everybody's, Gary Elways and, uh, and Udo Kier, our beloved. <laughs> I mean, everybody in the movie is so good. And they hit the, this is a perfect tone. The perfect tone that walks right up to the ledge of comedy. I mean, there's still some... A farce, even. Far, there's still some funny comedic Definitely. things about this movie and some funny lines, especially the way they're delivered. Uh, but yeah, it walks right up to that ledge and then walks back. And the look of it is fantastic. The, the use of light and shadow or lack of light and color and shadow is fantastic to all add to that tone, which you're right, is just perfect. But in the end, I don't... It's almost impossible for me to separate this movie from Defoe's performance. No, it's, I agree with you. Although the you know one of the reasons I think it fits really well on this list is some of the back and forth where the people in charge of the film are deciding who in the cast and crew is disposable. Yeah, <laughs> it's just, yeah. I will eat him later. You know <laughs> that is such a great scene because you know I think that. That there is a lot of of sort of catty Hollywoodisms in oh, this movie, yeah. and that's really it, in so many ways what makes it so funny is the way this sort of insider look at the way actors and crew and writers how they're thought about yep. uh, by the people who see themselves as the geniuses who are in control of what's happening. Exactly, and that is is very much um, encompassed by. Malkovich's performance. Yes. He's so just ordering people around and this and that and, and views them as disposable, yeah. including his his star, yeah. which he doesn't really seem to care if he's a, a, a real vampire or not. No, he, you know? no, not at all. He's, I think he's, he's fine with it because it's getting him a really good yeah, performance, a very realistic film. He's the genius here, uh, in, in his mind. Yeah, yeah. He's the actual artiste. Right. And, uh, you know, it's funny when you think about this, you know, this legend and this movie and, and where the story came from. That people forget that when Max Schreck got this part, it's not like that was his only role. He right. was a very veteran of stage and screen by the time he got this part, but he's only known. It's almost like, well, he just came in and then he was gone because, right. and that fuels the fire that he was a vampire. No, he had a lot of other, <laughs> a lot of other roles. This one, of course, he was seen in daylight at times. That's what you're saying. <laughs> but, 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 you know, go back and watch that. He looked so otherworldly. He did. I mean, gee whiz, mm. talk about a makeup job. He did. He looked like a freaking demon. Yeah, he did. You know, especially in 1922. Mm -hmm. I can see that just freaked people out. Yeah. Um, but it's, uh, it is, it's a really cool 
statement on how movies are made or how movies were made, but even the attitude, as you allude to, that exists today. And it uh, it really does poke that. Just keep poking yeah. At, yeah. At, at the way that, that uh, Hollywood maybe views its, uh, its people working on its movies. Uh, even though it's, yeah, it's Germany, it's not Hollywood. I don't think we could, in good faith, not include it here. Agreed. No way. And that's Shadow of the Vampire 2000, which is number two. Moving us up to number one and probably couldn't be anything else but this classic. Another classic. This one from 1968. Really needs no introduction. Rosemary's Baby. There are plots against people, aren't there? Well, there's one against me and my baby. If you say anything more about witches or witchcraft, you'll be forced to take into a mental hospital. Read what they do, God. They use blood in their rituals. Monsters. You're lying! You're lying! You're lying! What have you done to it? So, again, technically it's not Hollywood. They're in New York. But it is that story, right? Guy Woodhouse is a selfish bastard. (laughs) and uh, Wants to be a star. He wants to be a star. And he really doesn't care whose womb he has to, uh, you know, give up to the Satan. That's right. to, To make that happen. There's so much more going on here than just a metaphor of Hollywood. You know, as we've said before, every time we talk about this movie, this one is, um, paired with or in a triumvirate of repulsion and the tenet yeah uh it's a trilogy of roman polanski about the horrors of you know apartment or city dwelling yes yeah so you've got that going on you've also got you've also you can't escape the religious uh undertones of this movie oh, not no. because not only because satan is involved in the story but she's catholic mm. her husband is not her husband mm-hmm. is jewish which can especially back then maybe bring in a lot of uh tensions Sure. From the different families. Um, so there's there's a lot of different themes in this movie that you could be looked at for metaphorical purposes and not just the selling your soul to Hollywood. Well, and also it was, uh, you know, is right around the time the pill became a yeah. thing. Yeah. And and so there was actually quite quite a few horror films of that time that had to do with reproduction and with, you know, uh, and this one I think is interesting because, you know, she has... Her body, her her future, her body is in the hands of someone else, mm-hmm. which I think is kind of a metaphor for, you know, these scientists have come up with this this pill and, and you're just trusting in them. And, mm-hmm. so, you know, it's just there's so much going on here and the performances are amazing. And of course, for me, there's always something a little bit creepy about Polanski Showing us a film about a lovely young woman sure. who's in jeopardy because he knows that so well. Mm-hmm. Yep, you, you you can't bring him up without bringing that up for sure. No. Um, and uh, but but this was the adaptation of the book, and still to Ira Levin's book, yeah, yeah. Ira Levin's book, and still to this day thought of as one of the most faithful yeah. adaptations. I mean, whole passages were taken, you know, line word for word uh, from the book to the screen. Now, they obviously made some changes, but it's incredibly faithful to the book, and it's got. It's got such a, it reminds me of The Exorcist, not just in subject matter, but in the slow burn. Sure. You know how it really takes a while, but it's worth it. Oh, it uh, is. Once you get into it. And, you know, there's so much has become legend about this movie, not the least of which is Mia Farrow's haircut, which yeah. at the time was a big deal. Yeah. That was a big deal. And they ended up using it 
as part of her transformation, because in the early scenes, she she's wearing a wig. Oh. But then when it goes to that, what you call that, a pixie? I think that's hair, what they call haircut. it. Haircut? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really kind of helped to to uh, sell her transformation uh, as a character. Mm-hmm. And, of course, caused a, a, a ruckus, caused quite the... Uh, the demand in hairstyle, hair, right. hair salons across right. the country. But so there's that. There's also the metaphors we, we talked a little bit about. You, you mentioned the pill, but yeah, the physical transformation of, of just pregnancy. Yeah. You know, and how helplessness, the helplessness. The helplessness. Yes. And in the haircut, I think actually helps to, to really um, emphasize that because it just showcases how frail a mm-hmm. person she is, and that belly is like three times as big as the rest of her. <laughs> and when she's like wandering through the streets trying to find the doctor that'll help her, I mean, it's just such a an exquisite picture of helplessness. Yeah, it really is. And one of the things we, uh, we talked about, really the whole theme of this podcast, you know, movie making, how movies get made. One of the things that uh, Mia Farrow uh, talked about in making this movie was in in the actual rape scene with the the demon, you yeah. know, the devil. The guy who was in that mask apparently did all of it. He was completely naked ah. from the neck down. And so, according to Mia Farrow, he spent, you know, just hours just writhing all over her for this scene. And then when it was all done, just very, you know, prim and proper, it was a pleasure working with you, Miss Farrow. And just walked away <laughs> and said he was a completely, you know, very polite and gentle man, just wanted to do it naked. Wow. Okay. All yeah. right. <laughs> Yeah, so that's yeah, that's another piece of uncomfortable uh, truth to making movies. But you know, they really only show just it's his eyes. Yeah. you know yeah. of the and and of course that comes into play later when they when they talk about the baby and oh, his yeah. eyes. Oh yeah, he's got his yeah. father's eyes. He's got his father's eyes. But uh, it the way it is constructed, it's a really great job of directing by Polanski. It you is. know, well, and you can't talk about this movie without mentioning Ruth Gordon, Oscar winner mm-hmm. Ruth Gordon, who is and it kicked s- off a, re- a career resurgence it for did. her. It did as big it should have. time as it should have. But yeah. I mean, I love her in this movie because it's a very serious film. It's a very very serious film, and she has such a comic element to it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with her her highly rouged cheeks and and you know her mouse. Uh, undertaste, and she's just, she's amazing. Well, part of that was because uh, Polanski wanted to, he wanted that group of, you know, the family, whatever you call it. Yeah, the, the com- to not be glamorous, to right. not have that sort of hammer horror Satanist look about and, them. And he also wanted them to kind of represent figures from old Hollywood, oh. you know, that maybe weren't recognizable, like, oh, that's this actor, or that's this actress, but just kind of that that persona. Ralph Bellamy is in there. Yeah. He's one of yeah. them, too. Yeah. Um, so that was just feeds into the metaphor of Hollywood, that they kind of represented uh, old Hollywood types, uh, although she went on to her biggest stardom ever after this. She'd been around forever, but she went on, as you said, Oscars, right. Oscar winner, of course, Harold, Harold and Maude, and a bunch of others, and she was really just that, that character until she died, mm-hmm. you know, but it was kicked off by this movie. But yeah, everything of, about it, the performances, uh, the way it has that slow burn until that, you know, that ending, which that's the one of the big changes they made from the book, which I think is beneficial to the movie, the way the movie ends mm. and doesn't get as literal as to what happens after the baby is born. You're just, you're left wondering, mm-hmm. you know, is she going to, you, you get the feeling of what yeah. she's going to do. Yeah. Her maternal instincts, instincts are going to take over, but you don't know for sure. And I think that's a much better ending. And that's just one of the many reasons it is number one in our Hollywood horror list uh, for Fright Club. Uh, so let us know what you think about these or maybe some that we left out. 
Always love to hear about that, too. And the easiest way to do that, the easiest way to keep the conversation going is to hit us up, the Fright Club Podcast, on Twitter, and that is Fright Club Pod. Uh, and you can get all the back episodes and a bunch of other fun stuff. We've got the Fright of the Day. We do. Every day. Mm-hmm. I like to do a little Fright of the Day. You do. <laughs> and uh, fun horror movie stuff. And you can always find uh, us as well on Twitter at Mad Wolf. And uh, on Facebook and Instagram, it's Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website, MadWolf.com. So, so many ways. So many. To get in touch. And well, we, I haven't yet. And we hope you will. <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't already. <laughs> but uh, it's a good, this is a good, uh, fun subject to talk about. So, uh, hopefully you got some thoughts as we look forward to the next edition of Fright Club Live. As we said, that is coming up on September 12th. And, of course, the podcast will be the following Monday, but it's September 12th. Come on out to the Gateway Film Center in Columbus, Ohio. Watch Der Samurai, which is really, really fun and, and very cool looking. So I'm excited to see it again on a big screen. And we're going to talk about Fractured Fairy Tales, which is a great topic for horror Yeah, movies. that will be fun, Fractured Fairy Tales. And I can't believe we're talking about September now. I know. Uh, which leads us in, if all goes well, to October. And speak, Woo! and that is the month of Nightmares Film Festival. I'll tell you what, they unveiled... Uh, our early 13 That's right. of uh, films that have already made the list, and we are very honored to be on the jury panel again this year, seeing some great features, some mm-hmm. great shorts, and we cannot urge you enough to come out and visit us in Columbus, Ohio, uh, at Ford Nightmares Film Festival. Love to see you. Believe me, we're going to be camped out there all weekend. Yes, we are. As we were last year, and met so many of you, and uh, loved doing that, seeing some great films and building a great horror community mm-hmm. that's one of the one of the many great things this theater and this film festival does yeah if you need any information you can uh, just hit up social media they're all over it yeah it's a do not miss event if you can possibly be here so until then keep in touch if you can and uh she is hope madden he's george wolf and this is the fright club podcast stay frightful my friends Hollywood.